1789, the first United States presidential election unanimously voted with 69 electoral college votes to vote President George Washington as the first commander-in-chief of the United States of America. He won every electoral college vote. No other president has ever come into office with a unanimous electoral college vote. Washington was the obvious choice for president and possibly the only truly viable choice. He was both a national hero and a favorite son of Virginia, which was the largest state of the Union at the time. Washington ascended to the presidency with practical experience, having served as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army during the American Revolution and as president of the 1787 Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. You know, sometimes things are just obvious. Sometimes who needs to do something or what needs to happen happens without question. And the same thing is true in our passage of Scripture today. In our passage of Scripture, I would summarize it by saying there is only one obvious choice as to who will carry out God's plan of judgment upon this world and return this world to its original created order by God. That person, ladies and gentlemen, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one worthy to carry out God's plan of judgment upon this text of Scripture. As you read the Bible here, it's kind of an unusual uh, uh, statement that needs some explanation, so let me try to describe this, if I can, to you carefully. Revelation 5 is a, is a continuation of chapter number 4 that we looked at last week. Chapters 4 and 5, remember John has been lifted up, he's been caught up into heaven from Patmos to receive the vision of the Revelation. So most of what John is going to see for the rest of the book, he is seeing it from the vantage point of heaven. And remember, in chapter number 4, the focus was the throne. But in chapter 5, the focus is the Lamb. So in chapter 4, it's all about, remember, God is ruling and reigning this universe from his throne, from his vantage point in heaven. And by the way, he's ruling the events of all of our lives as well, isn't he? And then in chapter 5, we see that, that there's this question proposed in the first four verses. In the, in the right hand of, the, of God, who is sitting on his throne, John sees a scroll, and that scroll is sealed with seven seals. And a question is asked, who is able to break open these seals and open the scroll and introduce the judgments that are going to take place in chapter 6 through 19? So the scroll is the plan of God. It is the unfolding of the future of this earth. It is how God is going to destroy this earth, how he's going to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel, and how he is going to complete the redemption of the creation that became broken in Genesis chapter number 3. Hey guys, just like that song said, one day God is going to make all things new. And we're going to see that by the end of the book of Revelation. But chapter 6 through 19 teach us how he's going to go about doing that 
uh, through what we call the tribulation period. So what are the scrolls and what are the seven seals? The answer is what is contained in the scroll is the great tribulation period. It is the plan of God and how God is going to unfold that plan upon his people. Now, everybody in this day would have understood a scroll with seven seals. You see, if you were going to sell a piece of property in this day, uh, you would have to have it notarized. Now, all of you probably had experience with notaries. In those days, you needed seven witnesses to witness a selling of a piece of property, and the property deed would be rolled up and sealed by the seven witnesses. And so what this is simply referring to us today is this, is that the seven seals are God's perfect plan of judgment upon the earth. What is written on the scroll is God's plan. So in chapter 6, when we begin to see these seals broken and the judgment begin to take place, what we are seeing is what is written in the scroll now is going to take place on this earth. And so folks, what we, what we learn in chapter number 5 is simply this. There is only one person who has the authority, the power, and who is holy to execute this kind of judgment and justice on the world, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is and always will be the centerpiece of God's plan for this world and this universe. So let's open up Revelation chapter 5 this morning, and let's look first of all at this truth. God's people long for justice. Now you got to understand, that's what this is all about. What Revelation chapter 5 is all about, you're going to see people weeping. You're going to see them wondering who is going to bring judgment on this earth. Who is going to execute this? Who is able? You're going to see at the end of the chapter, uh, you're going to see the prayers of the martyrs are ascending into heaven, verse number 8 and 9. You're going to see people who have been hurt, people who've been a victim of this broken society in this world. And when you read chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, you're going to see a quest, a longing. You're going to see that they are asking, who is going to bring about justice and final judgment on a society that has thumbed its nose against God and has brought about destruction on this planet because they failed to follow God? So what do we learn in these first few verses? We learn, first of all, that justice belongs to God. Notice, please, if you will, verse number one. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside on the front and back. Notice the scroll was in God's right hand. That is the position of strength. You see in the Bible when somebody is mentioned as being left-handed, it is unusual. It's, 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 it's considered weakness. It's not that if you are left-handed, you are weak. It's just that the majority of people in the world are right-handed. So let's just see it today. How many of you are right-handed? Go ahead and raise your hand. See? How many of you are left-handed? Go ahead and raise your hand. See? There's my point. The right hand is a position of strength, majority, authority. So when the Bible says the scroll is in the right hand of God, listen very carefully. God is just and he is the performer of justice. In fact, in one place in, in Genesis chapter 18, it says this, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer is yes. Folks, listen to me carefully. Ultimately and in every way, the judge of this world will do what is right. So justice belongs to God. Number two, justice will be fully served. Notice again, it says at the end of verse number one, the scroll is written, watch this, on the inside and on the back, which means, quite honestly, 
the judge has a lot to say. One page wasn't big enough for the judge to write down all that was going to do. Folks, listen, God has taken note of every injustice and wrongdoing in this society, in every relationship. It is fully recorded and fully written down. Justice will be served by God, and justice will be fully served by God. Also, we see in verse number 2 that justice will be clearly necessary. According to Roman law, as I mentioned before, a testament was sealed with seven seals by seven witnesses before its legality could be established. So what is God saying by this? That the seven seals are on the scroll of judgment. He's saying this, everybody is going to know that I am just and right by fulfilling this judgment upon the earth. Have you ever wondered sometimes why people get away with crimes? You ever wonder why cases go cold and murders go unsolved and people seemingly walk free from things that they obviously did and nothing was ever found out? Have you ever wondered? I mean, I just saw on the news just this, this last week, somebody was released from prison after being there for 10 years, wrongfully incarcerated. Now, folks, it goes both ways. Sometimes people are jailed when they're not supposed to be. Sometimes people are not jailed when they're supposed to be. The fact of the matter is, things go wrong. And we, and by the way, there are people that sit here in this room today with a sense of justice having not been served in your own life. Whether it was a relational breakdown, whether it was a financial reversal, whether it was a problem at work, whether it was a relationship in your own family that just went whack and crazy. Somebody walked out on you, left you, hurt you, harmed you, did something wrong to you, abused you used you folks listen i'm here to tell you this morning god has seen it all and one day thank god he is going to take care of it all but notice this justice will never come through man alone because after he introduces the scroll when you look in verse number three watch this and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look at it so verse four john now speaks so i wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll folks this is a problem nobody was able to open the scroll who can perform justice who can get it right who is so holy and worthy and powerful and honorable that they are going to get justice right all the time? And the answer is, nobody in this room. Nobody in the next church down the street. No pastor, no priest. By the way, the elders were there. The leaders, nobody. No doubt the 12 apostles were there. Nobody. Think about it. Think about who was sitting in this room for just a minute. Think about the thousands upon thousands upon myriads upon myriads of people in that room right there. The rapture has happened. We'll talk about that next week. The church of God is assembled. The Old Testament saints are assembled. We are there together. Thousands upon thousands upon myriads upon myriads. Moses was there. Can Moses open the scroll? No. David was there. Could David open the scroll? No. Abraham was there. Can Abraham open the scroll? No, I was just talking to somebody before the service about how godly Daniel must have been. And I guarantee you he was godly. But Daniel was in that crowd. And could Daniel open the scroll? No. Could Peter open the scroll? No. Could Paul open the scroll? No. Could John open the scroll? No. Could your praying grandma open the scroll? No. Could your favorite preacher open the scroll? No. Could anybody else open the scroll? No. And church, there ought to be some things that you settle in on today and realize. Don't put 
your trust in men. There are good men, but there is only one God-man. You may have been failed by good men, disappointed. Somebody you trusted in, somebody you hoped in. May have been a church or some church hurt in this room, I guarantee you. And folks, people that let church hurt ruin their lives, the rest of their lives, it's because your hope, I'm sorry to say this, I'm trying to say this kindly, it's because your hope was in a person, not in the Lord Jesus Christ. No man is as able to be infallible and never fail another human being, including me and including you. But friend, I'm here to tell you, Jesus never has and Jesus never will fail you. By the way, only Jesus can save you. There is no priest, there is no pope, there is no elder, there is no, no, no religious formality, there's no confirmation from any human that can ever save another person. The only salvation in this world is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a truth, a way, or a part of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Think about the Philippian jailer. Looked at Paul and said, sirs, what can I do to be saved? And what did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Folks, I can't save you. If I could, I would. But I'm not God. And I wasn't born of a virgin. And I did not die on a cross. And I did not shed my blood. And I did not raise from the dead the third day. There's only one person that has the title deed to eternal life. And it's Jesus Christ. And so, don't trust in men. Folks, let me say this to you, number three, number next, justice will ultimately win. I believe there's a cry in every human heart in this world for justice. We see it on the news every day. We see people cry out, something's not right. Folks, is anybody reading the news right now and wondering what is going wrong? This world is absolutely nuts. It is crazy, and we're going to see it in the next chapter. Can you believe the violence that we are seeing today? I'm watching. I can't even watch them. It just, it's, just, it's so much. I, I can't even do it because it just makes me sick. Kids in their middle schools and high schools literally beating each other to pulps, and dads happen to go to a school in Louisiana and stand guard in their own kids' lunchroom because it's not even safe to go to a school anymore. People being murdered and shot and such violence and evil. I mean, I mean, you, you can't even have a conversation. With, it is set up so well for what is going to happen in chapter 6. When we talk about conflicts and wars and people going against one another, you see it right here and right now today. What's going on? Why all that anger in someone's heart? Why is there anger? Folks, anger is a cover emotion for a deeper hurt and harm. There is a cry in people's lives right now for justice. It shouldn't have been this way. It shouldn't have happened. My mom shouldn't have did this. My dad shouldn't have did this. That husband shouldn't have walked out. My kids shouldn't have did this. This shouldn't have happened. Da-da-da. And what does it do? It produces disappointment and sadness and it's all covered with anger. And folks, this world is like a, a boiling kettle ready to explode. And you want to know why? Because we want answers. We want to know that it's all right. And so what happens? John cries. Notice the phrase there, verse 4, I wept much. This is not watching a Hallmark film, folks. This is serious. This is weeping. This is broken, absolute brokenness. W.A. Criswell, the famous preacher, First Baptist, 
in Dallas, Texas said these words, John's tears, listen, I love this, represent the tears of all of God's people through all of the centuries. The tears of the Apostle John, the tears of Adam and Eve once they were driven out of the Garden of Eden, the tears of Eve as she bowed over the first grave of her son, Uh, tears uh, of the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt as they cried out to God in their slavery. They are the tears of God's children through the centuries as they cry to heaven. They are the sobs and tears that have been wrung from the heart and soul of God's people as they looked on their silent dead, stand beside their open graves, experience trials and sufferings, heartaches and disappointments which are indescribable. It is the, the, the eternal and perpetual tear of brokenness. Folks, John's tears were your tears. John's tears are my tears. Folks, aren't you looking forward to the day when tears will ultimately be wiped forever away? These are tears crying for injustice. But folks, listen, I want you to know this. I want you to know that in this idea of your cry for justice, never lose sight of this. God is always working on a plan to make sure that this is all remedied. And that's what the scrolls are all about. Folks, listen, I know that some of you, I guarantee you, there's people in this room, you have sat in silence and brokenness and questions and difficulties and agony of soul in your life wondering why this isn't working out the way that you thought it was going to work out. Why this? Why the brokenness? Why the hurt? Why the world so crazy? Why my family? Like Why, why whatever? Here's what I want you to know. Right now, God is not passively or idly sitting by doing nothing. Now, you may feel like God is doing nothing, but listen very carefully. The fact that this scroll was written on the front and back means that while His children were suffering, while His people were broken, while martyrs were going to early graves, and why mamas were losing kids, and why, why marriages were breaking up, and why drugs were destroying lives, and crime was wreaking havoc in our country, in our world. Guess what God was doing? He was writing it all down in a scroll. Come on. He was writing it all down so that one day He could unleash His justice on this world because He will do what is right. Thank God for that. Thank God one day. The gavel will fall and justice will be served. But we long for justice. Number two, we see Jesus as the conquering lamb. The answer to the question of John and heaven is Jesus. Why weep? Nobody's able to open the scroll. That's right, no man is able to, but the God-man is. If God was the one who made the plan for justice, then I'm telling you today, only God's Son has the authority to execute and enable that plan. That's what we learn here. Look at verse 5. But one of the elders said, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll. That's Jesus, friend. What do we learn about Jesus in this text? We learn, first of all, that Jesus is rich in history. In verse number 5, there's two things that are said about Jesus here that are beautiful. He is the root of David, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In both cases, those are fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy. One telling, uh, 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 excuse me, Abraham's descendants that Jesus would come through Judah, and the other was a promise made to David and his offspring about the king of Israel coming Folks, what is it telling us? It's telling us that rising up, according to Genesis 49, verses 8 and 10, 
rising up from the, from the tribe of Judah. Listen, rising up from the tribe of Judah is going to be one who will have a scepter. He will rule. He will not depart from Judah. And the ruling staff will never depart from between his feet. And then over in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 1, there shall come forth a shoot, a little branch from the stump of Jesse. The world will try to cut David down. The world will try to cut his offspring down, but there will always be an offshoot. There will always be a branch. That branch is Jesus. And you come to Matthew's gospel, and the very opening lines of Matthew's gospel teach us that Jesus was born through the seed of David, rightfully claiming the throne of David for all of eternity. Folks, I'm just saying to you, Jesus is rich in history. Rooted in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New. Number two, Jesus is glorious in victory. Look at this, if you will, verse six. Verse six says this, and I looked. So the elder says, no, he's here. But then verse six says, I saw in verse six, and I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Somebody better help me up here. He had been slain. But watch this. He's standing. He was a slain lamb, a dead lamb standing. How does a dead lamb stand? Answer, resurrection. He was slain on the cross, but he stood up out of the grave three days later. And in eternity... He bears the marks. He bears the scars of his, his redemption because he was given for that purpose. But friend, I want you to know, in heaven, he is not a limping lamb. He is not a broken lamb. He is not a wounded lamb. He is a standing, living, resurrected powerhouse in all of eternity. Why can Jesus open the scrolls? Because he rose from the dead. That's why. He is glorious in victory and finally he is powerful in deity. Notice, if you will, go down to verse, uh, we're at the end of verse 6 now. He stood, he had been slain, watch this, having seven horns, that's perfection in power. Seven is the number of perfection. Seven horns, watch this, seven horns, seven eyes, and seven spirits. Three times in the same verse, the word seven is used. Speaking of this, perfection. He's perfect in power. He's perfect in omniscience. The, the horns, you can read this in Daniel, you can read it later in the book of Revelation. Horns was a symbol of authority or power or kingship. So, so it's saying here, Jesus is perfect in authority and power. He's perfect in omniscience. He has seven eyes all around his head, which are the seven spirits of God that go throughout the entire earth. Jesus fully knows everything. Why? Because he's God. Folks, listen, there's only one righteous conquering, authoritative leader in this world and its history, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's interesting. I looked it up this week because I was curious. I, I know I'd always heard about conquering kings, and you hear about, uh, you know, like um, uh, Napoleon from France. Of course, everybody's heard of Alexander the Great, uh, who conquered the, the most of the known world at that time. But did you know that Alexander the Great, at the, at the height of his uh, kingdom, only ruled about 2 million square miles of ground. But did you know that several hundred years after Alexander the Great in the late 1100s and the early 1200s, there was a much more significant king, conqueror, by the name of Genghis Khan. Now, we you sometimes 
we hear this name, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not much of a history person. I, the fact is, I'm not much of a school person. Uh, but, but the truth is, uh, you always hear that name, and you, you know, what, who was this guy? He, it seems like it was so far off, and I don't know why, but so much less seems to be said about him than somebody like Alexander the Great. Did you know that Genghis Khan, in the late 12th and 13th, uh, early 13th century, literally ruled over 4.8 million square miles of territory, more than twice the amount of Alexander the Great. And the amazing thing about his story, he was from, um, uh, he, was, he, was a, he was a nomad. He was a tent dweller. And his early army started by conquering other uh, groups of nomadic tribes, and ultimately these nomadic tribes turned into the largest powerhouse the world has ever seen. He had the entire territory of Russia, the entire territory of China, and the entire territory of the Middle East. But let me give you the operative word in that last sentence I just gave you in case you missed it. You might have thought it was Russia. You might have thought the operative word was China. You may have thought the operative word was Middle East. Nah, nah, nah. That wasn't actually the operative word. Let me give you the operative word. It was a little three-letter word I used three times in that sentence. And you probably missed it, but let me give it to you again in case you did. It's a little three-letter word, the most important word in those sentences I just gave is a little word H-A-D had because China is no longer under Mongolian rule and Russia is no longer under Mongolian rule and the Middle East is no longer under Mongolian rule. What about that? That kingdom, the greatest kingdom in the history of this universe came and went. Alexander the Great came and went. Hitler came and went. Every United States president came and went. There is only one who came and he will never went, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who conquered all of this universe for what he did at Calvary and through his resurrection. So, number two, we see Jesus is the conquering land. Then finally, what we see is this. Jesus is worthy of our praise. And Jesus will receive the glory. And really, that's what happens from verses 8 through 14. So in verses 8 through 14, after the Lamb is introduced, we see a song break out, a song of praise. And it's interesting. We see the cause of the praise is simply in verse number uh, 9. Watch this. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scrolls and to open the seals. And notice this next word, for... This is the reason why. Why is Jesus worthy? For you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Man, how many of you are thankful for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? It saves us from our sins, Ephesians chapter 1. It forgives us of our sins, Colossians chapter number 1. It is the only access that we have to God, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It's always been the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross. That blood, that is your cleansing fountain. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. There is power in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, I'm here to tell you that I don't know who you are and I don't know where you are coming from and I don't know what your history is, but I'm telling you right now, you might be a really big sinner, but I want to tell you, Jesus is a better Savior. He's a better Savior than you are a sinner. And one drop of His blood will cleanse every single sin from your history. It will wipe your story clean. 
It will give you a fresh start. It'll give you forgiveness. It'll give you hope. It'll give you eternal life. The blood of Jesus, it was given as redemption for us. Watch this. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, I love the fact that at our church, so many nations and ethnicities are represented. That's the way it should be, and that's the way that it always should be. Why? Because in heaven, that's what it's going to look like. Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine every single person from, from every single country, every single ethnicity, every single continent? Can you imagine that day when we're all gathered back together singing and praising God together? Watch this. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And we'll see that fulfilled in the millennium as we get later on into the book of Revelation. But what is he basically saying? God, we're praising you because you are worthy, because you saved us and you changed us, you forgave us and you gave us hope, and here we are in eternity because of you. Because of you. I don't know about you, friend, but when I get to heaven, I think that's the first thing I want to do. I just want to fall at the feet of Jesus and hug his ankles and kiss his sweet feet and look up into his precious face and just say, thank you for about 10,000 years before anything else takes place. But then watch the crescendo of praise. You see, in verse number, in verse number eight, it's just the elders and the four living creatures. Did you see that? They're the first ones that sing. But now look at verse number 11. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying worthy. You see the crescendo? First it was just the elders and living creatures and now all the angels of heaven have joined in the same course. And then you get, look at this, look at verse number uh, 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard say, what a crescendo, what a swell. What a 30-foot tidal wave of praise crashing across heaven and every single... And it just it spills out of heaven, over the banks of heaven, into the earth, under the earth, and every living creature in this universe will praise God. Wow. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. And this morning, we crown Him with many crowns. Matthew Bridges wrote that song, Crowned with Many Crowns, which is an invitation for people on earth to praise God. He wrote it based upon Revelation chapter 5 and 4. Listen to this. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark, how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Listen to this. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. Now listen to this last line. I love this. All and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands inside. Those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. All hail, Redeemer, hail. For thou hast died for me. Thy praise and glory shall not fail through all eternity. Let's pray together. We crown him the Lord of life, the Lord of love. We crown him the King of Kings. We crown him. This morning we're going to do, what we're going to do is we're going to end this service as this song ended by standing together and singing, Worthy is the Lamb.
Let's all do that, could we? Let's stand together. The worship team's going to lead us in just a moment to this song, Worthy as a Lamb. But listen very carefully. If you're here today and you do not have Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you do not know for sure that if you were to die, you'd be on your way to heaven, you, you've never had him wash you in his blood to forgive you of your sins, then I want to encourage you to come today you can come here. I'd be glad to meet with you and talk with you. We have some folks in the back that are ready to meet with you and talk with you. We want to help you. We want to give you that hope of eternal life that's only found through Jesus. But folks, listen. Revelation 5 gives us only one appropriate response. As children of God, we sing, worthy is the Lamb.